Welcome to the Fatherhood Challenge Podcast. The Fatherhood Challenge is a movement to awaken and inspire fathers everywhere to take great pride in their role and to challenge society to understand how important fathers are to the stability of an environment and culture. Are you a father? Then I am talking to you. Do you know who you are? You are a legend. And what do legends do? They leave a legacy. Those that leave a legacy define and change society around them. They change their culture. They change their moment in time. They change the future. You are a father, so you have that power. A lot of power. Take pride in that. Take pride in your fatherhood. In every episode, we're going to encourage and challenge each other to step up and do courageous things that make our families and communities better places. So let's get to it right now. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. It's always great to have you with me. I am very fortunate to have Ed Dickerson with me. He's a seasoned author. His three famous books are For Such a Time, Jacob's Story, and my favorite, Grounds for Belief. And he's coached many other writers on improving their craft. He's been an effective educator of both children and adults and even greater accomplishments at the legislative level that we will talk about in a moment. But the main reason he's here with me now is to talk about his greatest accomplishment, raising a successful son and two daughters. One of them is my beautiful wife, and you guessed it, that makes Ed Dickerson my father-in-law. I might be a little weird because most married guys hate their in-laws, let's just be honest, but I'm st- I still don't know how I got so lucky because I enjoy being around mine, and it's nothing short of joy, and you might be able to understand why, so let's get let's just get to it. Is there anything I left out? Uh, oh, I'm sure there is, but uh, you don't want to bore people, so we'll go forward. <laughs> okay, so we're starting a little bit of a tradition here. I, I really enjoy, thoroughly enjoy. It's kind of it's just something fun to do. I always like to start things off with a favorite dad joke. What's what's your favorite dad joke? Well, it, it's hard to say it's the favorite, but it's one of my my current favorites. Um, not too long ago, I was kind of depressed and discouraged and, uh, and a young man came over and tried to encourage me. It, uh, it wasn't too successful. I explained why I was feeling down and everything. And he said, well, it could be worse. And I said, oh, really? Uh, he said, yeah, you could be, you know, down in a hole in the ground full of water. <laughs> no, I know he meant well. That was a pretty good one. <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and get into some really interesting, I guess I call it the meat of things here. So there are a lot of fathers out there, new fathers that will probably be listening at some point, if they're not already, who just found out, and I don't know what it is, but it's it's different when when uh, a new dad finds out that he's having having a boy. But there's some new fathers out there when they find out they're having a girl, they just completely freak out. And in some ways I can get that, but what it, 
what would you say to that father if you ran into them and you got in a conversation and they're just they're just totally freaking out about it when they just get this news because they don't know what to to expect well uh, you have to understand that uh uh our our girls were born in uh, unless you asked for an ultrasound to find out what sex they didn't know until they were delivered so uh in 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 those days you didn't have any warning it's just your wife gave birth and it was oh no, it's a girl so uh there was there was very little warning really um you know the most important thing is is to pick the right mother because uh it, no man knows how to be a father uh to a boy or a girl for that matter you, you don't know i wasn't particularly eager to be a father but uh, uh it was time and um uh, what happens is your children raise you as much as you raise them. You learn from them. At least, ideally, you can. You pay attention. But uh, if you have a good wife, uh, it's a lot easier to raise good girls because then they learn to model after their their mother. So that's the first thing. And uh, Father uh, Theodore Hesburg was for a long time the president of Notre Dame University, and he said the most important thing a man can do for his children is to love their mother. So I'd say that that's the first thing is if you love your wife and, you know, there's, it's a child, every child is a challenge and they're a different challenge. As you mentioned, I have two daughters and those daughters are in many ways very different. So uh, just relax and uh, recognize that it's a learning process for you, uh, especially because, uh, you know, for, for a woman who gives birth, the baby is literally a part of her. And she she feels that connection lifelong. And a father has to get to know that child, has to learn to uh, have a relationship with them. So, you know, be there and if possible, be there at the birth. Um, I did my master's thesis on the spiritual uh, consequences of childbirth. And I can tell you that when the, when the dad's present, it makes a big difference. So. So be there. That's the first thing. Just be there and pay attention. That's really, really wise advice. That's one of the themes um, I hammer on a lot is, is being present. Um, I, so I, I really appreciate hearing that. Um, when it, when you first got that news, were, were you, were you freaked out at all? Were you scared or nervous about it? Well, as I said, I wasn't. I didn't think I was ready to be a father at all. But one of the reasons is that I only have one sibling, and she's more than ten years older than I am. So, in some ways, I was an only only child. And uh, to give you an example, my my sister entered school young, and I entered late. And so, her first day of college and my first day of first grade were the same day, literally. So that was a big big differential there. And in some ways. Because it took so long, my mother was uh, not really ready to be a mother to me, and so in some ways I was neglected. And it's it's kind of hard because uh, I grew up as I call it neglected only, as well as a firstborn because you're you've got all of these odd things happening because your only sibling is so much older, and um, and you, you when you're in that situation you learn to look out for yourself. So just even being married, you have to learn to look out for somebody else, and. Uh, that's that's just the thing you know you just have to be there you have to pay attention and you have to learn that it's uh, I, I you know when i talk to parents the biggest thing is 
they want to, too many parents are concerned. Does this make me look bad or make me look good? That that's not the issue. It's not about you. It's about the kid. And so finding out who that that human being is and becoming acquainted and building a relationship with that child, uh, that's daunting for anybody, but it's a great adventure. And uh, I, it enriched being being a dad is probably the most important experience in my life. I would definitely agree with that 100 uh, percent. You know, one of the things I hear I've heard before uh, is this idea that once you become a parent, once you become a dad. Uh, your best days are behind you. Your life is essentially over and it's just a downhill slope from there. My personal experience is that that is, that could not be more false. Um, and that, that's for many, many reasons. What's your experience with that? Well, like I said, that guy said that it could be worse. I could be, you know, underground in a hole with water in it. Uh, <laughs> he true. meant well, but it's <laughs> true, but no, I, I, you know, I, I think that's crazy. I'm, I'm now 71 years old, as you know. Uh, we were at, a, at just a few hours earlier at uh, my, not your wife's, but my other daughter's birthday party. I have to tell you, the best is yet to be, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I am educated by all three of my children on a regular basis, and I just, uh, I love it. I enjoy being with them, and I love learning from them. So, um. It's kind of cool. I, 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 I'd say the opposite is true, that, that you're, you can't imagine the rewards that are available to you. I was watching you there at that event, and <laughs> you, were just, you were just completely just, you were just soaking it up. I could see it. You're enjoying every single moment. Everybody was enjoying it. And what was interesting is I could just see it there. They were both enjoying you being there. I yeah. could visibly see that. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's a wealth, a richness that uh, it's almost impossible to explain. But no, I, it's just to say the the best days are over. Uh, well, let's put it this way: there are a lot of people who think, uh, and I, you know, we've had our my wife and I've had our fiftieth reunion at our high school. They think that after high school, their life is over. Well, that's pretty pretty frightening when you consider how short a time that is. Four years and you're done. Now it works the other way around. If you build a worthwhile life, it just gets better. Well, we're going to completely shake things up a little bit, and we're going to talk about this whole idea of of uh, accomplishments when you become a parent. Because, again, we're kind of going back to that original theme that, um, or myth, I should say, that when you become a parent, um, you, you can't really accomplish any, anything. Your life is over, and all this other stuff. But for most people, for for most dads. Um, education, being involved in their kids' education means dropping them off at school and letting someone else educate them. And your experience with that is, is not even, not even on, on, in that same scale. Like, how did you educate your daughters? Well, as you know, uh, I was a pioneer in the homeschool movement in, in the state of Iowa. And uh, I helped change the law in this state. Um, and I arranged my employment, uh, sometimes to the detriment of my professional advancement, so that I could be involved in my children's uh, education. And I was a teacher. I am a teacher. It's what I do. I've taught every grade from kindergarten to grad school. And um, 
the the big thing that we that people misunderstand about education is they they think that we have to spend a lot of time teaching. How how do you teach them this? How do you teach them that? The the God made children to uh, with a curiosity. The first thing they want to do is learn. We know at birth we know studies have been done. The first thing that children do is look for a pair of eyes. They're looking for somebody to have a relationship with. And so what the, the parent's job is to make sure your children are healthy, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And if you do that, they will learn. They will learn. It, healthy children learn. And you really can't stop them from it. So what we tried to do is to optimize the conditions under which learning could take place. To uh, we, we, the, the real, the best job, and, and I won't uh, be shy, I was known as a master teacher in the classroom. Uh, but even there, the, the real job is to be a catalyst. You're not part of the uh, equation, but you make the equation possible. And that's what that's what you try to do is set up the situation so that your children can learn. Give them lots of learning opportunities. Encourage them, cheer them on, but uh, don't push them because they, they're eager to find out the world. That's a... That- that's so important. I think um, we get this whole idea from the education system that you got to have the set curriculum and you have to be very rigid and you have to follow these steps, uh, this method, this methodology or the set curriculum. Otherwise you're not doing it right. And it sounds like the way your approach is, is completely centered around the child's needs, their learning needs and their learning style. Well, absolutely. And, and, <laughs> I mean, the, the reason this, that schools are set up this way, and people don't understand this, uh, teachers are taught this way. Most teachers don't even realize uh, what their what their real purpose is, is that they're dealing with large numbers of children. And, you know, there's a reason we say that uh, fish travel in schools, because if you watch a school of fish, they all move together at the same time. They, when they start to turn, the whole group turns. And schools, therefore, treat children like fish, that they should all move and grow and develop at exactly the same rate. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. First of all, boys and girls are are very different. They develop at different rates. And uh, their their readiness for what we would think of as academics takes place uh, at different times. And, uh, you know, children just don't move together. They're individuals. And uh, what, when we treat them as a as a, this group that will move in lockstep, we are working against their ability to learn, because it just doesn't work that way. Some some people are better at math and some people are better at reading. Doesn't mean they can't balance their checkbook or read well enough to get along in life. But what it does mean is that, um, for example, boys aren't ready to read as early as girls. Ninety percent of of reading problems in schools are boys. In fact. 90% of uh, discipline problems in schools are boys. And the reason is that most of the women, uh, most of the teachers are women. And uh, they they consider little girls to be more normal. And that boys are defective girls. We see this, I mean, there's plenty of research on this. I could name uh, lots of uh, distinguished educators. But, uh, and when you work in a classroom, a multi-grade classroom, as I did, uh, you can see it before your eyes. So, you know, one of the things I did in multi-grade classrooms was make sure that boys didn't hate school for two or three years, and then they then they took off. 
Now, did you use your own curriculum when you were homeschooling or did you, um, <laughs> did you do a little bit of both and mix it up or, or did you go with something specific? Well, here I'm going to have to be tough on you. Uh, when, when parents talk about curriculum, they generally mean a box of books. And homeschoolers are no better than they are. In fact, sometimes they're worse. Agape or uh, there's a whole bunch of different curricula they talk about. When you're studying curriculum in grad school, curriculum is the, the entire range of learning experiences available. So the answer is, did we have a set of books that we used to take the right steps at the right time? The answer is no. Did we have a lot of re learning resources? Yes. We had books they could read. We, we uh, had a funny story because, uh, uh, of course, the Internet wasn't, uh, wasn't around when we first started. And uh, the uh, librarians got the notes very well. In fact, one time, uh, it was uh, 1993, uh, my wife took both of our daughters to Texas, where my niece was giving birth, and they all wanted to be down there for that. And I was left to take a large box full of books back to the Cedar Rapids Library. And the librarian took a look at the box and the books, and she said, oh, I know who you are, <laughs> because we borrowed so many books there. So, and this is true with my son as well. So there are lots of learning opportunities. Sometimes it's books. Sometimes it's travel experiences. Sometimes it's people. All of those are learning opportunities. Uh, we had, I was... Uh, the chairman of the homeschool support group here in town for a while and they had a curriculum fair and i brought a bottle of ketchup which everybody thought was rather strange but we talked about that you know with this 64 ounces what does that mean and so forth um so uh, one of the things we would do is uh put a world map for example under a clear piece of plastic and that was our tablecloth and you could talk about things on the map while you're eating and so forth so it isn't, it, learning is all around us. That isn't the problem. The problem is recognizing the opportunity and taking advantage of it. Probably one of the most interesting things is that uh, one time it was in the fall of the year. Uh, it was one of these days that's warm in, warm in the day and cool at night. And we were uh, on the road and we stopped at a convenience store. I was going to go in and get something, just just me. Uh, and uh, when I got out, I had a very interesting, uh, there was a brick wall, uh, of course, for the store, but you could feel it radiating the heat off. So I went back to the car and I said, everybody get, get in line. We're just going to get single file and just follow me. So they were lined up along the car, got up onto the sidewalk next to the building and turned and went along the wall. And each one looked and went, wow. And then we talked about how the brick soaks, soaks up the heat during the day. And then when it cools off toward evening, it radiates this back out. So that's what I mean when I say learning opportunities are everywhere. I'm sure they all remember that. We've talked about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, It sounds like it's just, um, I guess, another word I've heard for it uh, would also be like object lessons um, every time those opportunities come up. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I suppose so. It's just, it's not that formal. It's just every, you you want them to get in the habit of finding things to learn everywhere. This is a breath of fresh air to hear. Um, I grew up th the same way that most kids did, being dropped off at school and you're there most of the day and the school educates you and it's out of textbooks. 
So the way you educated your kids is a very different, very, very different approach than the average person is used to hearing or knowing about. And I'll be honest from this side of things um, with the way I was educated and seeing how you, how you did things. I wish it was done that way instead of the way, uh, instead of the way I was raised. Um, Because I think there's, and the way you're doing it, I think kids get a lot more enrichment about it because I don't know how many opportunities you miss just sitting in a classroom all day long. Um, and you were there with your kids. You were, first of all, you were engaged with them mm-hmm. and that's an important thing. And there's all kinds of benefits and dynamics there. But the second thing is not missing those opportunities. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so crucial. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks in a, in a wonderful little book. It's a kind of a tough read called The Abolition of Man. But he talks about the typical classroom education being uh, the way poultry men treat chickens. They're raising, them. of course, they're raising them for slaughter. They don't say that. But in other words, they're raising the chickens for, for purposes the chickens know nothing about. Whereas what I'm talking about is is a parent bird teaching a baby bird to fly. Those are radically different approaches. Definitely. What would you say is your greatest accomplishment in educating your kids? And yeah, don't don't be shy about this. What what is your greatest accomplishment? Well, I I guess uh, staying out of the way. I know that may sound crazy. Uh, and I've said that I was, I'm not going to be shy. I was considered to be a master teacher. I was told this in many evaluations, but my, the great mastery was simply to find out how does this child learn and then to give them as many opportunities in that way as, as I could. And so that's, that's what I did. I would, and this is the, the great teachers, Piaget, Montessori, all the great teachers. The first thing they do is they, listen and ask questions of the child instead of telling going you know the typical school is like everybody goes to the doctor and they get a prescription without an examination okay this is getting this is some fascinating stuff here if somebody like me who uh if somebody like me was just was listening in and is listening to all this and wants to know more how would they learn this stuff well, there's uh, there there are a few good authors out there. Uh, John Taylor Gatto is a good one. Uh, Raymond Moore was one of my mentors. He's pretty good. Uh, I have a Facebook page, uh, which is Ed Dickerson Homeschool Consultant. If people want to go there, and there are other resources that they that I can put them in touch with. But the main thing is getting in the early 1900s. Education was defined as Mark Hopkins, who was a famous teacher. Mark Hopkins on one end of a log and a student on the other end of the log. And that's really what it comes down to. You need to find somebody who knows how to do this and let and sit on the other end of the log. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And just real quick, for those listening in, uh, if you didn't catch some of those resources, I'll put them down in the description um, so that you can... Uh, you can go through a link and then be able to to track it that way. So so don't worry if you miss something um, during this interview and you miss those those links. I'll I'll make sure they're down in the description. Um, and for those for those who are concerned about this this unschooling approach and you know what can possibly happen, 
Uh, I should point out that all three of my children have uh, college degrees. Both of my daughters have a master's in uh, marriage and family therapy. And your wife uh, and my daughter is going for, is about to finish up her PhD. Now, I want to say this because I said to my kids growing up, I don't care what you, what fits you, what, what you choose to do, as long as it's worthwhile work. You know, I don't particularly want you wearing, uh, being a blackjack dealer or something like that. But if it's worthwhile work, whether it's collecting garbage or cleaning toilets or whatever, then it's a good thing to do. And I'm, I'm in favor of that. You don't have to get a, a, a degree to be a good person or to make good money. But I said, what I want you to do is, is to challenge the best that is within you. And I think they're doing that. And for me, that's a tremendous reward. Absolutely. What do you see as the greatest challenge uh, in the education of kids today? And not only that, but I'll take it a step further. What can fathers do about that challenge? Well, uh, thanks to people like me, uh, I'm certainly not the only one, but uh, homeschooling is legal in every state in the United States and in most countries these days. And you, you understand this, and this I say this to you and I say this to all dads. Yeah, you can drop them off at school, but you're still responsible for their education. You can't get, to that, get rid of that responsibility and farming it out doesn't make it any difference. Now, if you feel that someone is much better at it than you are, that's understandable. But don't think you're giving up that it's now their responsibility. It's your responsibility. That's the first thing. Well, the second thing is then to, to do what I said, to listen. It, it doesn't take a lot of training to just simply listen. And you'll find out, I, I give you an example. Uh, I was working with homeschool parents and I was visiting this one homeschool family. And there was a little boy there in this particular case. And I was showing them Cuisinair rods, which I think you probably get a bachelor's degree if you know how to pronounce it. But it's a, it's a particular math tool, manipulative math tool. And it's a good one. Uh, I use, I've used it a lot. But here's this kid. I'm showing them other these, these math manipulatives, things you move with your hands. And the kid's sitting on the other side of the table, and he's counting his money. Hmm. And he wasn't interested in Cuisinair rods. But, and this is a kid who's eight years old. And so he had a whole bunch of coins there. I said, can I borrow these just for a little bit? I'll give them back to you when I'm done. He said, you nodded. So I made different stacks of coins. And remember, the, the dime is the smallest coin, right? Right. And if you're too young, you think that the coins are valued according to their size. So I'd make stacks of change, and I would put two stacks, and I'd say, which one is the larger stack? And he went at it for 40 minutes. He wasn't interested in my fancy tool but he was interested in money. And he was telling me that the whole time I was talking. Interesting. I just had to wake up and see, oh, this is where his mind is. Let's go there. Hmm. It's, uh, you know, backing up a little bit. Um, I think it's really interesting. So you talked about earlier, you were very instrumental, um, actually at the, on the front lines of changing the homeschool laws, uh, in Iowa. To uh, I was the only lobbyist for homeschoolers. Yes. Exactly. And wh how were your kids, were your kids involved in that in any way? Oh, yeah. They could tell you a lot about being at the Capitol. Uh, in fact, it got to be a joke because back then we're talking about the big concern, supposedly, was that homeschool parents were going to abuse their children. They're going to hide them away from the public and deprive them and abuse them. 
And uh, my kids were not with me all the time by any means. It would, but that would have been abusive because I was at the Capitol, which is two hours from my home, uh, five days a week for like 16 or 17 weeks uh, in a year. But when we came down to, to finally passing the, uh, the homeschool bill, which is the first time in 90 years that homeschooling had been officially legal in the state of Iowa, the kids were with me, and that led to some late nights. But by this time, uh, the other lobbyists and legislators knew me, and they knew my children. And uh, they joked with me because it was late, late at night, maybe early morning, as they were finalizing the last little bits. And they said, this really is child abuse. <laughs> and we all <laughs> laughed about it because, but, uh, you know, uh, my son actually ended up being a page in the legislature then. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Uh, I was able to talk to the legislators in, in education ease, which is its own little jargon. And I was able to talk to parents as a parent. So uh, it, it worked out well. When the governor signed the bill, uh, he singled me out. He said, where's, where's Ed? He gets the first pin because it wouldn't have happened without him. So it was, that was nice. But it, took a, it was a lot of people that uh, were involved in the process. I think it's interesting because my experience with, with government was a class and a textbook where you learned, <laughs> you learned about government from a textbook. However, here we have this contrast where your kids are actually involved. They are witnessing it. They're witnessing things change before their very eyes. They're seeing it. And even in the case of your son, he's directly involved. He's a part of oh, it. Oh, yeah. Well, and they, they, were, they were present at committee meetings and things where uh, uh, the law was finally passed. It was really an amazing uh, conference committee meeting. I won't go into all that. It was quite dramatic. But they were there to see things happen. And what you've just described is the difference between the typical idea of curriculum, something in a book, and all the learning opportunities available. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Um, just to kind of wrap things up a little bit, I know we've already kind of put out a lot of challenges to fathers, but do you have one big major challenge that you have that you want to issue out to, to fathers listening? Well, I could bore you with all the statistics. I can tell you right now that not having a father present, and I don't mean just that there's a father in the household, but he's there for the children. They, they have a relationship with their father. The statistics on drug abuse and, and uh, out-of-wedlock pregnancies and suicide and violence, and you could go on and on. You cannot believe the statistics. There's plenty of them online. Fathers matter. They matter because they show boys how to be a man. Women can't do that. And I could go into that about the, the brain chemistry and a whole bunch of other things that, that uh, boys need to learn, and they can only learn from their fathers. But girls from their, learn from their fathers what a husband should be like. They learn how a husband should, teach, should treat his wife and how he should treat his children. And so to be there and be that kind of an example. Now, I have to tell you, I'm not flawless. I, I was not a, a perfect father or a perfect husband. But I'm just saying, being there, being yourself, and, and, and recognizing how important it is to, to know your children, to listen to them. I can't say that enough. To listen to them, hear what they have to say. And uh, that's a challenge because it's not something you can't go out and buy a book. 
You can't go out and buy a, a piece of hardware. You can't get a tool. You have to do it every day. Sit down, pay attention, listen, be kind. That's the challenge. I think that's an excellent way to, to wrap up and, con and conclude things. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure interviewing you, talking with you. And even as we were going through this interview, it's been a pleasure learning from you as well. Um, that is unfortunately our time. We could easily go on some more with this. It's just, it's been enjoyable. So thank well, you so much. Well, as you your know, time. your mother-in-law and my wife says uh, that listening to me talk is like getting a drink at a fire hydrant. So we could go on a while. <laughs> easily. All right. Well, you've been listening to Ed Dickerson. Just a riveting interview. I've I've enjoyed every minute of it, every single minute of it, and I appreciate you being part of it and listening in. So thank you so much. If you enjoyed the show and are getting value out of it, there are two ways you can support this podcast. One is by hitting the follow option on your favorite listening app. This will make it easier to see all the episodes and receive notifications when a new episode is released. The other is by checking out some of the swag in our store. They make great gifts for the holiday, a birthday, or any reason, and they help spread the word about this great movement. The link to the store is in the show description below. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you in the next episode.